I'm Elia Haber for the Beirut Banyan. Ever since I started doing these episodes for the Beirut Banyan, I naturally kept in touch with many of my guests. One of the main reasons is that most of them are people that I see on a very frequent basis in the squares or in events related to the revolution. For this reason, I wanted to revisit some of their attitudes and views they expressed on their original episodes to see if anything has changed in the light of their personal growth or recent developments on the ground. In this episode, I visit Salim Ma'awad in his workshop and we discuss his arts, his views on the revolution so far, and where he sees it going. Here's our conversation. Um, let's start with some basics. If you can please give me your name and your age and your profession. My age? <laughs> You're not gonna be editing me, so no. Okay, like, even like that would be more impressive. Okay, my name is Salim Awad and I'm 47. My profession, I do two things. I'm an expert on human rights, genocide, and dealing with the past, the violent past. I'm also a painter since four or five years ago, and my painting is only related to political activism and human rights. Okay. I mean, not much changed except for my age. I'm 47 and two months, which is the age of the revolution. <laughs> but it would be interesting to uh, have a critical look a little bit on this 60 days and uh, to see, you know, if... Uh, things evolved and if they did in which way and try to be critical also if we want to sustain the dynamic. I, I always paint the ball, it's my mantra in a way, my motto. But four years ago a young guy passed by, you know, and he asked me why the ball, why castrated. So we had a discussion about Lebanon, resignation and Arab world. So three days after the revolution I was doing small sketches of the ball and sending them on Instagram. But then he sent me a message and he said, beautiful text message. Made me, seriously, it made me cry. He said, Salim, your boy woke up. He's on the street where I This is also important as an entry into the discussion that we're having, you know, whether I would do it again if things are happening the way they are happening today or not. Because when I spoke about the bull being castrated, resigned, the revolution in itself and the dynamic of any revolution that we witnessed from the Arab Spring and in Africa and where I used to be present, Today the dynamic changed, which is very normal and natural because people also strengths, you know, changed, you know, and uh, many factors are changing. Like there is fear today that for a week, you know, people started talking about the fear of civil war. I, I still, you know, as a, somebody who's analytical and doing analysis, I don't understand why that week, wh why did it happen? But when time passes by, you see that there are some powers, dark powers, or uh, maybe the state, maybe the authority, maybe some political parties, you know, who are uh, not benefiting from this revolution. They start spreading the fear. And I guess it was a propaganda, you know, done on purpose, but it had it imp its impact on the people for a while until people, you know, uh, realized again that there is no fear. We should not have a fear of a civil war. And I remember I had a talk with the people in Azari, and I said, we should not be afraid of civil war because in case there will be a civil war, it's not going to be our civil war. But this is also the problem because there is us and there is them. And that's where the revolution did not succeed so far in having all of us as Lebanese citizens joining efforts. What happened in retrospective also, and I guess we spoke about it uh, Elia. the day they resigned, the day Hariri resigned, he got back his partisan. The day the Lebanese forces resigned, 
the Ishtiraki, even the free patriotic movement, they changed their discourse. And when they changed their discourse, adopted, you know, more the discourse of the movement. When I say the movement, I mean as the revolutionary on the streets, people sided back with them, which also we spoke about that we were not, I was not very sure from the beginning of the revolution, one month in the revolution, that this unity that people were talking about was really a reality. It was more of an aspiration. And from my experience also in many countries, Africa and the Arab world, usually people talk more of aspirations, more than realism. It's a very complex dynamic, I have to admit. Revolutions are not easy. And now, you know, what's happening today proves more and more that it's not a real revolution yet. It's more of a revolt. And revolt are parabolic, you know. They take, you know, different intensity. They go up, down. Now we are, I guess, in a flat, interrupted dynamic, you know. On the weekend, it gets high, and normally... Uh, it's on Saturday, Sunday, and Sunday, because people have more time. People, you know, want to go back to work, and people, you know, have other things to do. The weather is not helping, which is very important, and I keep on saying it, and people make fun of me, but the weather is not helping also. But what we need to look into is our mentality as civil revolutionary people, because we should not make the mistake and believe that the whole population is supporting and seconding this movement. People have demands, and whoever is going to give them this demand will be the security valve that they are asking for. Whereas us on the street, you know, we have more than demands. We don't have livelihood demands. We don't have demands related to hospitalization. We don't have demands related to education. Because in a way or another, you know, we are better off than the majority of the people you know i'm I'm sorry we are i don't want to say bourgeois but we are lower middle class people who we meet we talk and we are trying to drive in a way me through the painting other people through the discussion space we are the the drivers of this uh, movement and we don't have the same demands as the majority of the people we failed to talk more to the people who have the basic livelihood demand. So far we failed. I, I, I hope we won't fail. I hope we pick it up to talk to them more and tell them that this revolution is beyond. It's not only the social and socioeconomic demands, it's beyond. Because what we're asking for is abstraction. You know, when we say that we want to bring down the Nizam, we want to bring down the regime, we want to fight corruption, we want the stolen money back and everything. This is all abstraction. You know, We need to put a framework to it. And that requires a process. You know, it's not going to happen only in the street during a month or two, not even six. Because imagine you want to track the, the money that was, you know, stolen or embezzled over 30 years. You need a huge, complex processes on a national, international level. You need agreements. You need memorandum of understanding, you know, with other countries. You need to trace the money, you know, where from where it left to where it landed and within which structure it passed and it was filtered. Those people are smart. I mean, they've been doing it for 30 years. You know, they know what the fuck they're doing, you know. When it used to get dark, I never stopped working because I always had like five, six, ten phones lighting the wall and people saying, keep on painting, we light it up for you. It was amazing. Uh, yeah, because also, you know, in the dynamic of a revolution, we need to build on the positive. I was reflecting with some friends, the same story, you know, like, let me start 
from the last thing I said about, you know, how they used to light up the wall for me and, you know, give this emotional charge. I was telling my friends, you know, and now every time I hear Reyes, the songs, you know, uh, Ashab, you read the Scott and Nizam, I get a beautiful feeling. I, I really get a beautiful feeling because it reminds me of these beautiful moments on the street, the love, the, the care, the unity. Yeah, even unity, even if it's on a smaller scale, you know, but it gives me joy. Uh, reflecting on it and and hearing a song that that reminds me of it because those are moments that nobody can take away from me as an individual i was hoping that we open the debate in the public space you know what are you having from the revolution on a personal level before talking about the political level what did we keep from this revolution to us on a personal level that gave us resilience that gave us joy in order to continue revolting and in order to continue struggling. And here, you know, I was like, you know, asking some of my colleagues in the civil movement, keep on doing what you're doing. Keep on, you know, like talking about the awareness, how the government can be changed, what is the constitution, what is article three, what is sub-article D, whatever. Keep on doing it. I mean, people, you know, maybe want to hear about it, but let's open the debate also on what does it mean to have a social revolution? You know, why are we on the street and do we want to move this revolt? Today we feel that the momentum went down because people, you know, they realized all of a sudden there is no government, there is no laws being passed in order to hold the politicians accountable, which is a failure because these laws require a cabinet. The stolen money is not back. Politicians are still where they are. They're not doing the nomination. They keep on postponing. So it's a failure after another, after another, after another. Okay, there were some victories, you know, like when the deputies couldn't get, you know, to the parliament. Although this I'm a bit skeptical about because if they did not decide to boycott the session, they could have made it to the parliament. Yeah. I'm not trying to diminish also our, I was there, you know, I'm not trying to diminish our presence. Our presence was important. But I was also telling people, you know, who are like overexcited and they're working with their heart and everything, I said, we don't remember 1982. 1982, when they wanted to vote for Bashir Ismail as the president, and he was sitting in his office in Ashrafi, not far from here, they brought the deputies to the parliament in tanks. So when they want, they want. We need to be critical about our achievements also, and we need to be critical about what we consider as failure in order not to go into a negative dynamic. Uh, today, for example, which is easy because it's not political, uh, I don't have to explain the bull to people. They know it, you know, because I was persistent with my work. I was there all the time. I was there nearly every day, you remember. And they were talking about the bull. And now when even I move away from the square, they know me. Because I've been on TV, you know, talking about the bull. They asked me about the bicycle, if I got the bicycle back. I'm not joking, it's beautiful. And it tickles my feelings. Okay, there is, again, as I said to you last time, there is a bit of narcissism in it, of course, because we're doing a performance on the street. but. The idea was communicated to people. Even some people come to me in a cynical way and they say, uh, did you get, you know, uh, to achieve your secular state? Mm. Whereas in the beginning, you know, they were asking me, what is a secular state? So at least the discourse through what I was trying to do and through art managed to stay in the conscience of the people. So that, that was nice. We should, we should also think how to project this small, tiny example, you know, on a higher level. Why do we keep on going to the squares? You know, what happened, for example, you know, to you within these two months after you leave the square and you go to your work or you go to university? How are you noticing, you know, the change in public behavior? Because there is change in public behavior, you know, which 
is a double-edged sword because when you have such a movement on the street, this chaos, it gives people the imagination that they have all the strengths in the world. Mm-hmm. Actually, they don't, emotionally and psychologically speaking. So when you are on the street saying, Ashab, you read the Scott and Nizam, or Ashab, you read this and you read that, and the people are the source of the power and, you know, whatever, Ashab, Master Salutat, which is void uh, constitutionally, because Ashab, Master Salutat, Okay, it's not the people who are on the street that they become the parliament. But anyway, it's the romanticism of the revolution, and we need this mobilization. But when you go to university, your teacher is still your teacher, and he's still an authority. When you go to to your company, uh, your director is still your director, and you know it's still you know a patriarchal, authoritarian uh, structure, and it should be. You know, but is there a change of behavior? Are you bringing this change of behavior? to the institution, and that's why one, one of the days I did a painting saying, after the street, we bring our revolution to the institution. Since the movement is taking more time, we need to start thinking other than the political demands, and I insist a lot on that. What is the change in the social behavior that we are uh, living and experimenting today, and how we're living it outside of the street? And I guess if everybody looks deeply into themselves, there is a change. What do you think is an action that could be done, whether physically or maybe intellectually, to uh, maintain that awareness? Look, there is an array of things that we can do. You know, there is the simple things that we can do. You know, all the way to the more complex things. You know, and I'm not asking people to be heroes uh, because it's not easy. But but I'm going to give you examples that happened in my life. You know, from small to big. When I go to the bank, wanting money, my money and the bank is confiscating my money. First, I was hesitating. I knew every week I'm allowed, you know, $400 or $300. I was hesitating because, you know, I was participating. I believed I'll be participating, you know, to the fucked up process, you know, like giving the bank the chance or the power uh, to manipulate public money and our money. But then at, at the end, I needed money. So I called several friends, you know, what would I be doing if I do this? I'm not joking. What is the exchange rate? Would I be benefiting or would I be losing? And deep inside of me, and trust me, I'm not a hero, but I tried to be correct. I was trying to choose options where I lose and not win because there is the black market. You need the dollar, you know, 1,500 in the bank. And then in the black market, $2,000. I was like more inclined to take it for 1,500. So I don't allow the black market I would have never thought about it before the revolution because I became aware of the public interest, the public good of the country. So I went to the bank and uh, I said to her, please, I want to withdraw money. And how much can I have? You know, and she said to me, uh, your right is your right is up to $400. I said, look, and usually I'm somebody who has a fucking bad temper. I said, dear, look, I'm not going to vent my anger on you. I know you're an employee, and I know the owner of the bank is the one in charge. But please, let's agree on the narratives, because your narrative is very insulting. She said, what do you mean? I said, you cannot tell me my right is $400. You can tell me what we allow you because we're confiscating your money is $400, because my right is my full amount. And people started applauding uh, around me in the bank. And I loved her reaction. You know, all of a sudden her face became soft. Uh, She had tears in her eyes. And she said, you know what? 
I am deeply sorry and I totally understand you and thank you for saying it because we need to hear it. So for me, this is bringing the revolution, you know, from the street to the institution, to the financial institution. Yes, she is not the decision maker, but she's there, you know. And then I said, look, when you see uh, your superior, the owner of the bank, and I'm sure you're not going to see him, you know, but you're going to see somebody close to him. Tell him a citizen passed by from the revolution and he said, you're a fucking crook. So for me, this is a small example. Another example, which is on a higher, higher level, I had a project with two international NGOs. And one of the project is supposed to be with one of the people who was nominated for the post of prime minister because he has an NGO. And I said to them, I'm sorry, I cannot do the project if the project, although the project is with children. I said, since this guy was convoked by the uh, attorney general, and accused of corruption. And there is a public opinion against him today. I cannot do the project with you if you keep you know, the same partner. And I withdrew from it and I need it. I need to live, I need to work. Fortunately, after four or five days, and we're talking about two big international organizations, they got back to me and they said, we changed the partner. So this is also, you know, attitudinal change, behavioral change, which can be in total compliance with the values of the revolution. Like if the international community want to fund Lebanon and to support Lebanon, they also must be aware that, you know, we are refusing some political elite with whom they are working. Okay. But if we don't remind them of it, they need to do their interest. And I did it. And again, please, I don't want to be understood that I'm asking people to be heroes, but those are things that we need to highlight because those are things that we brought with us from the street as revolutionary concepts and ethics and uh, values to the institution, which are not related to how I want to bring down the regime, how I want to change the regime into a secular regime. This is a manifestation on a personal level towards the collective and revolution is that. Since we talked about international organization, I wanted to just shift um, the conversation a bit towards international media. There's a report that I, actually it was a video report on France 24 that said that Hariri's name is back uh, into conversation because there are no alternatives that the society, activists, etc., have not yet produced a viable alternative. Do you think this is something that a 60-day-year-old movement could take responsibility for? Actually, we should not. I mean, why should we nominate a prime minister? The revolution should focus on renewing the political practice. We're not supposed to nominate a prime minister because this is the job of the parliament. Now, the problem is where we are a little bit, you know, and I say it, I dare say it, where we are a little bit confused. It's like, you know, we want a cabinet which is technocratic, with specialists, without politicians. But then again, we know that corrupt parliament is going to give it the vote of confidence. So as a civil movement, we're not supposed to nominate people and give political alternatives. But and this is something that the revolution did not do yet. As political activists within the civil movement, we should. Because if in time of revolution we're not going to produce political leadership, we're not going to produce it in time of post-revolution. And we did not produce it pre-revolution. 
So we have a crisis because, you know, we like to do politics, but we're afraid of this politics. And this is a criticism, and I dare say it criticism, and I say it openly, but criticism in a positive academic way. The civil movement should start criticizing itself, doing a critical reading of where we are after two months. And we should start elaborating ways of doing a revolution other than what we are used to, which is the NGO style. Because today, you know, what's happening, it's more into an NGO style. You know, I have a space for dialogue. I have a space for awareness. Uh, I tell you what is the constitution. Another uh, person is bringing food. There is the matbakh. Those are symbolism, which are very important, which is normal because most of the leadership, uh, even if it's not centralized, are people, you know, from civil society. Few of them, they did the political experience. But those amongst them who did the political experience, they were not politicians on full-time basis, because whether they were experts, consultant, lawyers, engineer, tending to their daily job, and during the election they come and then, you know, they uh, run for the election. And they never decided to work as politicians on full-time, you know, like to leave everything, start fundraising for themselves, and then say, you know, I'm a full-time politician, even if I'm not in the parliament, preparing for the election, which is four years ahead from now. So we are still in the dynamic of whether part-time politics, when times allows because we need to live, and we are generally in the dynamic of NGO, civil society, non-governmental dynamic, doing a revolution. This is good. It should continue because some people need it, but we need to shift the dynamic or push it a step forward and start, you know, having a political discourse. But some people said to me, you know, colleagues who are you know, like very well involved in the movement and in politics at the same time, you know, and they are independent. They said, and I understand them, but, you know, I don't agree with them. You know, they said it will be so wrong to benefit from the revolution in order to uh, do politics. I said, no, you are so wrong not to say honestly to people during the revolution that you are the political leaders, you know, who are in the making in the revolution, but you're not the political leaders of the revolution. You are political leader, leaders in the making, being produced, being created, being manufactured in the revolution, and that would be so legitimate for you to do politics later. This is a level that we did not reach yet in the movement. On that topic, there was a really nice uh, opinion piece today in the New York Times on how activism can actually lead to change. And uh, there's a sentence, to build power, outrage needs organization. Okay, so I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. In that study, they also conclude that real world success is by focusing on real world problems and challenging people to act to solve them. And this is where the creativity lies. Do you agree on um, that in general? And yes do you and think no. do you think it applies here? Yes, exactly. And the question should be, you know, is it adaptable and compatible with Lebanon in general and the global south more in particular? And then with the with the revolt, you know, what I call the NGO dynamic or civil society style. It is also more of social entrepreneur style, you know, because let's not forget, you know, I mean, over the years, over the last 20, 30 years, everything that used to be activism and that before that it used to be militantism, like a militant, uh, is today social entrepreneurial. 
you know and there is a huge effort from the west to work on social entrepreneuria and there is a huge effort also you know like through social corporate responsibility to fund activism and people went more into the direction of like ecology uh, environment uh. so that's why you know we woke up and we saw that you know political activism has not been you know that high on the list for a while you know people in Europe uh, mostly you know they talk about you know the ozone which is so abstract yes of course it's important but what the fuck how can I see the ozone and they start worrying about the cow if it farts more than it should per day it's going to widen the ozone or the spray bottle that they use as a deodorant which is very legitimate it is true you know but this is abstract seriously you're worried about the ozone okay you want to be worried about the planet be worried about the planet but let's talk also about Kyoto agreement let's talk about how the American are not agreeing on the Kyoto agreement and everything so what what what, what, did, what happened is with activism in general we tried to depoliticize it as much as we can they tried not we you know the, the, the neoliberal dynamic they tried to depoliticize it as much as they can they shifted you know the interest to, towards something very abstract and we don't see every day and with it you know we shifted from our interest in the drug problem we have our uh, in our neighborhood in in Paris Neuf, uh, arrondissement 9 in Paris or in London you know under Borough Bridge or whatever or even in, in Boston in America or even everywhere you know so we're not interested anymore in community issues you know we're interested more in global issues we're interested more in global abstract issues but if we notice lately there is an awakening if we look today, you know, like from Chile to Hong Kong, you know, to even some places in Spain, to Paris with the Gilets Jaunes, to Lebanon, to Iraq, to Iran, the revolt is the same. The demands are different, but the philosophy of the revolt is the same. Why? Because over the last 30 years, and I know before you tell me Iran and Iraq is a bit different, but in general, we had a savage rise of neoliberalism, which is the case of Lebanon, you know. And we had a savage rise of extreme right, you know, in Europe, even in Lebanon, in Iraq, in Iran, and everywhere. So we had these two huge rockets shooting high, neoliberalism, extreme right, you know, and fundamentalism. And then the people in the center, the masses, they found themselves without values anymore. And they are trying to recenter their values. That's why I say, you know, the chaos that we see today on the streets, Hong Kong, Chile, and Lebanon, especially in Lebanon also. I said to you, if you remember, uh, when, when you first interviewed me, people are on the street, they know what they don't want, but they don't know what they want. The question is today, we need to be on the street again and ask ourselves, did we develop an idea of what we want? If we don't have, you know, a complete idea of what we want, it's okay. We can develop it, but we need to start asking ourselves. I know we want less taxation, we want to change the government. I don't give a fucking fuck. It will happen. One day it will happen. And demands livelihood and, you know, social demand, uh, so, uh, economic demands and livelihood and whatever. Tomorrow any leader can come and give it to you. But not any leader from the establishment can give me new values in society, such as secular state, such as freedom and equality and everything. Those abstract values that we, that I'm claiming at least, and I know you are, you know, I mean, uh, and, and other people that we know on the street, this is what we want, you know. Uh, we need to redefine them. We need to invite people to share them with us and to say, you know, this is not for tomorrow, this is for after, but we need to start talking about it, elaborating it, and making it clear. We're part of the universal dynamic. Unfortunately, 
we're still acting as social entrepreneur. A revolution is not about social entrepreneurship. A revolution is about rolling up your sleeves and going, you know, more and more radical with your approach. And that leads me to say something also. Uh, there is a total absence in the squares and in the public spaces of debate of any ideological talk. Not to be dramatic because I'm extreme. Not as much as we should. Like, we talk about economic reform, but we don't talk about, you know, what kind of economic ideology do we want, you know. We talk about, you know, social reform, we talk about, you know, fighting corruption and everything, but we don't talk about, you know, political ideologies. You know, wh what do we want from Lebanon? We know that we are forced to cohabitate with Hezbollah, who has a different agenda, than, you know, people who are maybe secular, okay. But wait until I shed light on some important point. We need to have a debate, maybe not, and definitely not with the leader of Hezbollah, but with people who believe in the ideology of Hezbollah, us on a popular level, on a population level, we need to talk because they are so powerful. And now, you know, the civil movement also uh, are becoming very skeptical about the electoral law. Do we go for an electoral law which is totally secular? They're starting to say, maybe not, it won't be a good idea because in this case, the majority Hezbollah who want the secular law and Amal will be the winner. I don't care who's going to be the winner. I cannot compromise on my values. If my values are secular, I need to keep them secular even if I'm going to lose. But why am I afraid? Because I'm losing? Losing is not a problem. But am I afraid? Because I know beforehand that I'm not going to stay in politics because I'm going to be vetted out of Hezbollah, then in this case, I'm not doing a revolution. A revolution is, even if I'm going to lose, I get, you know, my political values to turn into a law, electoral law, which is secularism, and I keep working for 10, 20 years. This is how struggles and revolution are developed. Yani Khomeini, when he had the revolution in 1979, regardless of what you think of the revolution in itself, it didn't start in 1979. It didn't start the night before it started. It started in 1963, and even before when he was expelled. Uh, Castro also, when he started his revolution, it did not start the night before. You go towards the revolution. You don't start it and you say, I have like 25 days and then later I'm busy. No, it evolves, you know. And I don't want to be quite radical. Maybe this debate is happening, but I didn't see it yet. And, you know, I'm, I'm there since two months. And if you saw it, let me know. And another point of contentious in a very constructive and positive way also with some colleagues in the civil movement is have this critical debate about the revolution in an open space not behind the scenes, but they're not capable of doing it because also socioculturally speaking, these people who are trying to lead the movement, and this is amazing, you know, we need them, against their will and their consciousness, they're a photocopy of the political elite because societies reproduce images. And this is a political manifestation, but they're not doing politics. And in French, there is a difference between la politique et le politique. Okay, so they are doing a political activity, but it's not the political activity that we need as in politics. So uh, politicians who are in power since not only 30 years, but 60 years and 100 years, same families, fame, you know, they don't do 
self-criticism. Uh, they have a narrative which is so well-versed into the constitution, the law, the concepts, you know. They have a narrative which is so well-versed also into unity, national coexistence, cohabitation, and everything. Let's take a step and watch, you know, also the discourse of our civil movement. Isn't it similar? It is very similar, you know. And again, we cannot have a revolution with such a mentality. You know, we need to break the narrative. We need to change the practice. We should not always conceptualize our movement, ideas, and everything behind the scenes. If I have an open space for dialogue, let it be open for decision also. Later on, you become hierarchical, you know, because, uh, Elia, we both witnessed that, you know, when we used to hear people talking in the public square, many of the population, and many times, asked questions, and these questions remained, with, remained without an answer from most of the speakers, you know, who are there. As if there is hesitation and fear, saying, I don't want to be the book emissaire, I don't want to be blamed. But no, I need to take a decision. Like, I remember people, you know, when, when the parliament was supposed to convene in session, people were asking, what do we do? Do we close roads or we don't? Uh, and I became, you know, part of this I don't want to say hypocrisy, but part of this hesitation, like, you know, when I felt that there is no general opinion around me from the, the, the movement itself and the leadership, the dispersed leadership, and because I'm invited, invited to a specific tent, that represents a certain NGO, it's clear. We go back to how the NGO work is, you know, constructed. I said, you know, maybe I have no right to express myself and the Jamea, <laughs> you know, I'm in your house and I'm giving you my opinion, you know, on what kind of bed sheets you use. That's not, you know. I said, look, for me, and then that's where you, that's where you go into the narrative, you know. For me, uh, the revolution is freedom. Uh, if you want to close the road, it's your choice. Some other people don't want to close the road, but if somebody wants to pass, let them pass. Which for me was like, for me it was confusing. Like, I mean, am I in a saura or am I, you know, in a birthday party? If I am in a saura, maybe I want to close the roads. Or maybe my strategy is not to close the roads today because I want the deputies to get to the parliament and then close the roads, you know, when they walk out. Maybe. Or maybe I don't want to close the roads at all today so I'm not accused of perpetuating violence and accusing them, you know, that I didn't allow them to do their job. Or maybe I want to close the roads, or maybe, you know, I'm waiting for the day where I say all over the nation we're going to have civil disobedience, you know. But I need to know. We didn't know. And we were wondering. Seriously, we were wondering. And I remember the next day, after having given all this blah, blah, blah talk to the people, the next day I was there and I saw the same people who were listening to me. And I seriously, we were like walking and looking at each other towards the parliament, on the street, in the public space, not knowing if we want to block the street or not. So at the end, we ended naturally in front of the parliament where it got blocked. But we didn't, for example, block the streets in Juni or... It, it happened. It, it, did it work? It worked. But if we want to sustain the revolution, we need to start ra radicalizing, radicalizing uh, the movement in a non-violent way but in a more structured and 
uh, nationwide way. Okay. I'll give an example. Like I am so inclined in a political strategy, political revolutionary strategy, to accept any government. You know, whether Hariri is on it or Samir Jaja is in it or Hassan Nasrallah is in it and whatever. You know, I'm willing to accept it because it's a transition government. Because the real politique tells me this is the best I can have. Because at the end, you know, even if I bring the best experts and we spoke about it, they're going to get the vote of confidence from the parliament. So we're still in the same sick dynamic and, and corrupt dynamic. But I give them, you know, and this is where politics start playing, you know, I give them six months time, you know, we waited for 30 years for fucking that thing. I give them six, six, six months time with three items on the agenda. If I am really sure that the street is strong, and the street is like supporting the movement. I say, okay, electoral law outside, you know, of uh, which is not taifi. Uh, separation between the judiciary and the executive. We need a law for it, and a law for you know the embezzlement and the corruption and everything. And plus, you know, uh, management of the state of affair for the people, so the economy does not collapse. And I give them six months. But during the six months, I don't, I don't go home. 20, 25 people, 30 people, whatever, they volunteer, they resign from their work, they stop working. And come on, no, I mean, I'm 47. I said to them, I have like $6,000 in the bank. I can use them for six months. And then start structuring the monitoring process. Like, did the committee of justice meet? Did the deputies present, you know, a draft law for this and this and that? And if not, who from civil society or the think tanks can present a draft law? So you put pressure. And then I start moving every week from one place to another in the country massively. Talk to the people about, you know, how this political elite is failing to do its job, you know, within the six months ultimatum that they have. So with time, if they fail to deliver within six months, I already accumulated their track record of, fa of failure because today people are more attentive to what's happening than before. Okay, I do partnership with the media, I ask the media to cover, and the media is already covering, but I get the media to cover in a more constructive way, you know, because for now the media is part of the revolution also, some of them, you know. So by this six months' time, I try to create an amazing track record of failure. If there is no failure, then hallelujah, the revolution won, because they fixed the country. And then we have the accountability law, and then we put them in jail. I'm, I'm being naive now, you know. But and in six months' time, if they didn't deliver exactly what we wanted, I don't start with manifestation. I start with civil disobedience straight away, and then violence is allowed. Violence, i.e., give me the Etoile Plaza, give me the parliament, give me whatever, then it's allowed. Because, you know, like, you took 30 years, it took six months, and again, now we are blamed that we are behind the suicide incidents. We are blamed that we are behind the uh, collapse of the economy. You know, everybody is blaming uh, this beautiful person called uh, October 17. No, I would demystify them and tell them, you know, okay, I don't want to collapse the country. You know, let things run according to this schedule, according to my schedule as the people. And if it doesn't work, the people are ready, and then it will be already spring and summer, and people will be more present on the street. This, I, I, I'm a bit disappointed that, uh, and again, that's what I was talking about. We did not radicalize and politicize the movement. Usually I end all of my interviews with the same question. And for 
hey, I'm changing it now. Lano I read it and the hope is something we can start with, but I'm changing it to more actionable things. If you could pick two challenges, one that is short term and one that is long term, that you hope the revolution will overcome, what would those be? One on a short term and one that is longer term. For me, both, because I don't believe, you know, society, uh, society without political dynamic can survive. You know, the short term, start showing your faces, those who you who want to do politics. You know, politics, you know, whether you want to organize a political party or you want to go for the election or whatever, Municip- municipal election, parliamentary election. And there are many. And those of you who are willing, you know, to be minister in the transition cabinet, go and fucking say it today. Because you're wishing for it, you're hoping, you're waiting every evening to see, you know, if your name is going to show up. Go and say it. I'd rather have somebody saying, I want to represent the Iraq, than somebody imposing on me, somebody at the last moment, and me being surprised with this person. If they tell me, Elia Haber, you know, she says, I want to be a minister in this government, although my colleagues, they don't want to be in the government, then I know how to talk to her. I open the debate and this is politics. So start showing your faces now in the public plaza and say that you are doing politics in its multiple form, not only election. Because this is our problem in the country. Our conception of politics is related only to parliamentary election, which is wrong. That's why Hizb Saba 7, they succeeded with all my reservation, but with all my reservation. But they knew how to play politics. They knew that they should get the money, they should get, you know, the international support, and then they can do politics, and they did it, you know. This is the short term. The long term, continue doing politics, that the revolution produces politicians, you know. What is better than a revolutionary politician? Nothing. So for me, the short term is show your face as a politician, and the long term, become the politician you want to be. Elia Haber, signing off from Martyr Square for the Beirut Banyan.